Back in 2021, California Governor Gavin Newsom had a lot on his plate. There was the COVID pandemic. There was the attempt by Republicans to recall him. It didn't work. And then there was Democratic Senator Kamala Harris. You can imagine uh, how proud I'm feeling, American people are feeling, um, about uh, her candidacy uh, now for the next vice president. So, uh, it is- Harris had just been tapped to serve as Biden's new VP, and Newsom had just filled her newly vacant Senate seat with Alex Padilla, a longtime political operator and, well, a man. Replacing Harris, the only black woman in the Senate, with Padilla, didn't go over well with some of the state's most prominent black leaders, including San Francisco Mayor London Breed. It's an unfortunate uh, situation as we are trying to move this country forward and making sure that African-Americans have a seat at the table, especially African-American women. The blowback led Newsom to make a big commitment live on cable news. Uh, If, in fact, Dianne Feinstein uh, were to retire, uh, will you nominate an African-American woman um, to restore the seat that Kamala Harris is no longer in the United States Senate? And do you have a name in mind? We have multiple names in mind. And the answer is yes. Fast forward to last Thursday. 90-year-old California Senator Dianne Feinstein died in office. Her Senate seat, a position she'd held for more than three decades, was suddenly empty. And the person responsible for filling it was, once again, Gavin Newsom. And so in you know less than one presidential term, he has appointed both California senators. Alex Salmon covers politics for Slate. So the representation for 40 million Californians uh, has been decided by, uh, yeah, one person, the, the sitting governor. I saw in an interview with a local L.A. TV station that even Newsom said back in May of this year, for those that say enough of Newsom making those picks, I get it. I'm with you. Yeah, he's had a really outsized impact on California politics. Not only has he replaced these two senators with you know his own picks, but he's also replaced the secretary of state. Like As you go down the roster of, uh, of Democratic politicians in the state of California, a lot of them at the highest level have come via Newsom appointment. Mr. Power Broker. <laughs> yeah, big time. Feinstein's seat isn't just a big deal for California. Right now, Democratic control of the Senate is on a knife's edge. And Feinstein was the tie-breaking vote on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Without her, Democrats can't pass Biden's judicial appointments or do much else, really. For Democrats to do anything in the Senate, especially with judicial appointments, they need numbers. I think that really sort of led to the urgency here or uh, a degree of expediency that we probably didn't expect. It took less than three days for Newsom to name Feinstein's replacement. And while she is a black woman, just like he promised, she's not a household name or a Californian or even a politician. Today on What Next, who is LaFonza Butler? And with Feinstein gone, what's next for Democrats, both in and out of Congress? I'm Mary C. Curtis, filling in for Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around.
This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Rumors of Feinstein's cognitive decline had been swirling around Washington for years. In 2018, when Feinstein ran for re-election in California, uh, the California Democratic Party did not endorse her re-election campaign, which is, you know, an exceedingly rare move, ultimately, to endorse against a sitting senator, one with so much standing uh, and reputation as, as Feinstein. And that was for a number of reasons, one of which is that, you know, she was much more conservative than the state had become politically. She was sort of, you know, in terms of her orientation ideologically, was very much out of lockstep with California politics, which have gotten much, much more progressive. But also there were concerns then about her health. I mean, that w- it was no secret even then that there, you know, that she wasn't as sharp as she had been, that she maybe wasn't up to the job, that she hadn't been holding town halls for years and years and years. Uh, and so there already were concerns. And then in 2020, right, the dam breaks, you have all this reporting about the fact that she seems, you know, not to remember basic things, names of colleagues, uh, I- entire meetings, uh, And this obviously had been going on for a while when the reporting came out. Yet in 2018, she did get the support of Democratic stalwarts like Nancy Pelosi of California, like Barack Obama. And she won re-election. Yeah, she did. And and that, I think, is a uncomfortable conversation, I think, for for some Democrats, because, right, the Democratic Party in the state said we're endorsing her opponent. And then these sort of national party heads like Pelosi, like Obama, came in and basically decided to override the preferences of the state party and say, we're going to support her. She already has this incredible incumbency advantage. She has this huge cash advantage. And uh, and then you get those, you know, uh, those figureheads basically uh, putting their thumb on the scale on her behalf. So fast forward to early 2023. She's struggling to get healthy enough to work in Washington. She's out a lot. There seem to be more calls from outside of Congress that Feinstein should step aside from her seat. But those inside Congress wouldn't go there. Why not? Yeah, we saw some members of Congress, Ro Khanna, for example, California House Rep, who said that she needed to step down. Um, But then, of course, you had Nancy Pelosi again circling the wagons, again saying, you know, that this is sexism. There's no basis for this claim for her to step down. She, you know, missed most of the spring term, was in the hospital with shingles, couldn't vote because she couldn't make it to Washington. I mean, her, her health was an extreme decline at this point. Um, and there were a handful of members who said, you know, she needs to step down. But again, like the party leadership, which has championed incumbency, has really made the top priority, uh, in effect, protecting uh, the senior members of of what you would call the Democratic Club, they they were unwavering in their support. And they said that she was fine, that it was OK that she had missed all these votes, despite the fact that we had massive backlog of judicial nominees in the Senate Judiciary Committee that couldn't move because she wasn't there. And just to quickly add to, the, to that previous point about the sort of jockeying over whether or not she was stepped down, the basis for the defense of her that came from a lot of these Democratic leaders was that Republicans would not seat a replacement for her on the Judiciary Committee if she were to step down and resign or retire. 
And I think it's critical to point out that this was never something that Republicans said that they would do. And, and we've seen this actually in the news cycle late last week and again this week. They never, they never indicated that they would do that. They, in fact, said that they would not do that. Well, with such a, such a tight Senate majority minority and with the country so divided and politics <laughs> so brutal, you can't uh, really blame folks for not being particularly trusting. <laughs> Right. That that's definitely true. But the precedent that would have set, you know, the Republicans have uh, a, a fairly geriatric leadership in their own Senate. Right. You know, Chuck Grassley is almost the exact same age as, as Senator Feinstein. The idea that a minority would keep a majority from appointing its members to these committees. You know, if that had happened, if you could filibuster that, that would basically end the Senate as as a functioning institution. After the break, who is LaFonza Butler? California's newly selected senator. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So ultimately, Feinstein's never called upon by her party's congressional leadership to step down. She stayed working in the Senate, even voting earlier in the day before she passed away. But Gavin Newsom had a major snag when it came to appointing a new senator because there's already a primary race in motion for Feinstein's seat. How does that complicate things? Right. What a mess. Um, so when, when Feinstein announces that she's not going to run for re-election, uh, you know, the, the race to replace her begins almost immediately. In fact, it actually be began before she even announced um, a number of uh, Congress people from California threw their hat in the ring. The, the three most prominent are uh, Adam Schiff, uh, Katie Porter and Barbara Lee. Uh, already, they've been on the campaign trail for many months. I mean, two of the three of them have a ton of money. So it's, you know, we're looking at like a very expensive, very, very hard fought Senate race. And the the thought of, uh, you know, appointing a replacement into an active race was is a huge challenge because incumbency advantage in politics is gigantic. If you get appointed to that role, you're basically going to win re-election as long as you would like to be in that seat. I mean, that's just sort of how it works. And so he made a pledge. This is the sort of cascade of pledges here. After pledging that he would appoint a black woman to the seat, he pledged that it would only be a caretaker, that it would be someone who would not run for re-election. And he also pledged that he would not pick from the active pool of uh, aspirants. And that ended up making the job into, into effectively a dead-end job, right? Like, you're going to keep the seat warm for 12 months and then you're going to hand it off to somebody else and you're going to have to resign your job to do it. Uh, that's not a very nice offer. 
Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> so we now have a name. We know that Newsom appointed LaFonza Butler. She's the first woman of color to lead Emily's list. And she also just made some history of her own as the first out lesbian to serve as California senator. And she's only the third black woman to serve in the Senate, period. Can you tell us about her? I know she's a name that probably some people aren't familiar with. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And her announcement also came with an announcement from Newsom that he was dropping his pledge uh, that this person would have would have to forego uh, a reelection campaign in 2024. So LaFonza Butler may well be on the ballot uh, in uh, a year from now or, or, or less, even actually, even the way these primaries are scheduled. LaFonza Butler, a very interesting pick, I think, for a lot of reasons, not on any of the short lists that you might have seen floating around, you know, not one of the uh, the high ranking elected officials in California. Um, just not someone who, well, not someone who's ever held elected office. I think critically also not someone who lives in California, which is, uh, which is a fascinating, uh, biographical point. Someone who has lived in California, but currently lives in Maryland. You know, her Twitter bio says she lives in Maryland. Her Emily's list bio says she lives in Maryland. She's registered to vote in Maryland. So not a California resident, which, you know, uh, I think is notable. Butler's never held office, but she's been involved in politics for years. She was a chapter president at the Service Workers Union, SEIU, which currently represents 700,000 members in the state. And she ran Emily's List, a fundraiser for political candidates who support abortion rights. But Alex says those aren't the only organizations she's played a key role in. She also is an exemplar of this sort of turn in democratic politics towards big tech. Uh, She was a lobbyist for Airbnb. She worked on behalf of Uber to try to broker a deal in 2019 to ensure that Uber drivers would not be categorized as employees in California. This was a huge labor battle that ended up being a ballot measure that ended up being the most expensive ballot measure in American history. So, you know, I think that her defenders would say, yes, this is someone with a, a, as, who's a union organizer who has worked in uh, pro-choice politics. I think her detractors would say this is someone who doesn't live in California, who most recently has been a lobbyist for big tech firms, including big tech firms that worked against organized labor with her help. So it's kind of a mixed record. And I think it's actually a consummate Newsome pick in a lot of ways. (laughs) She's young, too, especially by Senate standards. And she's had a very different upbringing from someone like Senator Feinstein, who grew up in an affluent San Francisco family. Can you tell me about it, about her. I know her dad died when she was a teenager. Her mom worked a lot of jobs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. So she's from the South, went to an HBCU, certainly a very different background than, than this sort of silver spoon upbringing that, that someone like Diane Feinstein had. I mean, the, the sort of anecdote that I always uh, remember when thinking about Feinstein's uh, entry into politics is that when she ran for the board of supervisors in San Francisco, she was auctioning off paintings by Ansel Adams to pay for her race, which was the most expensive city supervisor race that had ever happened in San Francisco at the time. Also, Emily's List, it's an interesting organization. It fundraises for a really vast range of candidates. They just need to meet three qualifications, be a woman, a Democrat, and pro-choice. Do we have a sense of what Butler's politics might be, considering her experience working to elect all sorts of different Democrats? Yeah. So it's tough to know because I think in that position, right, when you're that high in an organization like that, her job is primarily fundraising. 
Uh, and I think that's you know true of, of a lot of organizations. But Emily's List in particular is an incredible fundraising machine. They are some of the most powerful fundraisers in democratic politics nationally. If you look at the record of Emily's List, they work very much in lockstep with democratic leadership. Uh, it's very much an extension of the party. But you would not say, I don't think that this is a progressive organization exactly. I mean, it's a pretty, pretty moderate organization in terms of their ideological orientation. But I think sort of the way that that group runs with her at the helm and, you know, her, her work with Airbnb and Uber, it's, it's you know, it's it, you get a certain sense of where she might be at politically, which I would still say is probably to the left of Dianne Feinstein, who was, you know, very much on the conservative side of, of the Senate caucus in, in her final years. Oh, yeah. Speaking of California politics, LaFonza Butler is a close ally of the vice president, Kamala Harris. Didn't she work as a strategist on her 2020 presidential campaign? That's right. Yeah. Um, so not only that, but she was also a critical ally in one of one of uh, Harris's earlier runs when she uh, when she ran for attorney general in, in 2010 in California. So she helped uh, broker the SEIU endorsement in that race. You know, so she's been an ally of Harris for a long, long time. One other big thing about this appointment is that Newsom has appointed Butler with no strings attached, meaning that she really could run for the Senate seat. So he changed his he tweaked his pledge there a bit. But she would be joining a crowded primary field with Lee Schiff and Porter, right? Absolutely. But that would be tough with the timeline. Can you kind of lay out the timeline of how short this appointment would be and then how quickly the campaign would begin? Oh my God! I mean, I, I, I it, it scares me even looking at it, thinking about you know, <laughs> thinking about how 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 near this election cycle is to us. California's primary elections are March fifth, twenty twenty four. So we're talking about six, six months from today. We'll, we'll Californians will vote on this sort of wide open field, and the top two will go into a uh, a runoff in, in November. So you know, six months from now is is a very short time to stand up an operation. Um, and, you know, hit the campaign trail. I mean, for someone who, you know, is is going to be doing some work in the, in, in the actual role, it's, it's, you know, it's hard to imagine doing both simultaneously. Um, but perhaps you will. I, I, we haven't seen something like this exactly, especially in a state like California in so long. Um, in fact, the last time we had a, a, a special election of, of any real consequence was when Dianne Feinstein ran uh, in 1992. Talk about the circle. This is about Feinstein, but it's also about Gavin Newsom. He's been everywhere as the mostly loyal opposition. <laughs> uh, he was the Democrat in the spin room at the last Republican debate. He's going to be uh, sparring with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. He's been trolling him a bit. Of course, he's someone that's looking to the future. How much is he considering his future with this decision in the present? I think it's a very smart point. I think it's a very smart point to make because, right, Newsom's uh, Newsom's ambition is he, he can hardly hold it in, right? You can almost like see it emanating from his skin uh, the way he uh, makes the round. You know, he effectively was, you know, on the shadow campaign trail doing all this, you know, debating Sean Hannity and going around and challenging Ron DeSantis to a debate and in the spin room after the Republican presidential debate. And, you know, this is someone whose national ambitions couldn't be clearer. LaFonza Butler is an incredible fundraiser, right? Emily's List is a very, very formidable fundraising organization uh, on top of everything else. Not only has he appointed both senators uh, from California, but now he also has an incredibly powerful and capable fundraiser in LaFonza Butler, who's 
been made a, a very close ally of his. When you're looking to 2028, when the endorsements start rolling in here and, you know, his ambition to become president is, you know, as open open a secret as any as any could be, um, I think that that's also played a role in this decision. And, and I think that it would be unwise to overlook that uh, dynamic here as well. Thank you, Alex Salmon, for joining What Next? Thanks so much for having me. Alex Salmon is a politics writer for Slate. That's the show. If you're a fan of What Next, the best way to support our work is to join Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Ducharme. We're led by Alicia Montgomery, with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary C. Curtis, columnist for Roll Call and host of its Equal Time podcast. Find me on Twitter. I'm at mcurtisnc3. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.